How much money have you made on OnlyFans? Ah. Uh, Are you freaking out? OnlyFans has done so far. That's insane. They suspended my account when it was making 20 grand a month. Damn. I would always want to take my top off. Did people just think you were weird? I'm already naked in front of people all the time. What's going through your head? I only do nudes. I could see that. Oh, it's been quite a journey, and I think it always had to end here. So starting when I was a little girl, my parents bought an art gallery, and they started it themselves when I was one year old. And this art gallery had big bay windows. So you could like stand in these giant bay windows that faced Main Street downtown. And that's what I did as a child. I would wear petty skirts as dresses, and I'd stand in the window and dance around to Patsy Cline, which is exactly what I do now just in a very different context. So that's always been my thing. I have lots of stories told about me as a little girl of just whipping my clothes off in the middle of a party and starting to dance. So <laughs> I was born for it. <laughs> awesome. And then, so right before I hit record, you were kind of telling me, you know, how the progression went with social media. So at what point did you kind of you know, start dabbling with social media and then kind of figuring out that you could use it for business and stuff like that. Yeah. So I started uh, when I was 19. I quit my last corporate management job. Um, I always had jobs that were like really beyond my technical expertise. I was a bit of a fibber and I made up some really elaborate resumes that got me really great jobs. <laughs> nice. But... I quickly discovered I was not the type of person who could work under someone and I needed something where I could really grow a business the way that I wanted to. And I happened to be really good at sewing dresses. I loved fashion. So I started on Etsy doing Marilyn Monroe replica dresses and I would get customers measurements from all around the world, sew these dresses, send them off. That became really, really popular. Um, especially since the dresses, I had priced them at like less than what it cost for the fabric. I was just, I knew that there was going to be a period of sacrifice where I needed to provide something that sounded like too good to be true to get a big following and then gradually increase my price. And I already had the following going. So I had all the testimonials, reviews like, oh my gosh, this girl makes amazing dresses. I love my dress. And I had so many because I had such... Uh, high volume, sometimes making three dresses a day. <laughs> what year was that? Or like what? So were you on Instagram or like at what point did that get started? That was 2009. Um, and I was on Instagram as well as on Etsy. I started my business on Etsy. Etsy and I had a major falling out. Um, and <laughs> again, I just like couldn't have any overlords. That's always been my problem in my life. They're always trying to shut me down. So, and it was also because some of the pictures that I would take were a little more revealing. <laughs> I was always going that route. So Instagram, um, they didn't used to be so harsh on the community guidelines. You could really show a lot more. And I think there just wasn't the oversight that there is today. Um, back then, it was late 2009, early 2010. And because I was on there early on, it was easy to grow a big following. Um, I'd already been branding Dainty Rascal for a while. So people knew about me and I made it really fun content. 
and I started something called the Naked Dress, oh. which was like, I was married back then to a really um, conservative guy who did not like my short dresses, did not like me to not wear bras under sheer things. That was my spirit. That's just who I was. Um, so that didn't go over well. And Instagram loved it. <laughs> I was like, oh, these people like what I do. It's so much fun. And it got sexier and sexier. I started doing some burlesque shows locally. And um, I got divorced, which was great. I felt like I took a 50-pound backpack off. The next day, I hiked the tallest mountain in our area. And then the day after that, I couldn't walk at all. <laughs> I just started going off hiking, um, started taking pictures and videos of myself hiking. And I would always want to take my top off while I was out in nature. I just love being nude in nature naturally. <laughs> and so my friends and I would go out and, you know, we'd take, like, we'd get to the top of a mountain, take our clothes off and take pictures put them on Instagram and people would go crazy. So that's kind of how it started. Um, I became a nude model. I needed money. I always had horses and they're expensive. <laughs> I rescued my first horse when I was like 20. And um, so because I was a mom, a horse mom at an early age, there was just this, I have to make X amount of dollars. These are dependents that I have, I can't not do it. And at the time I was not making it. The dresses weren't selling, things were kind of falling off. Um, I tried being a waitress, that was hard. I was literally counting pennies at the gas station just to get to work. And um, it came to a point where I was stealing groceries. I'd been denied by uh, like government assistance programs because I didn't have a, a taxable job. I worked for myself making dresses. It wasn't cutting it. So I was like, okay, I'm in a really bad place. I have no ability to support myself or my horses and something has to change. So I put out an ad on Craigslist and uh, I said, pinup modeling. And it was $100 an hour. And I would go out into nature with you and I would strip or do lingerie and you could take my picture and it worked. It of course led to many, many terrible disasters where my life was threatened multiple times. Um, obviously going off with strangers from Craigslist into the woods is a very bad idea. <laughs> and I was just innocent and naive and eternally optimistic. And um, that's where the career started. I was driving all over California to get these jobs, sometimes doing three modeling jobs a day. And it got to the point where I was so busy trying to set up my next appointment while I was driving to one. I did the bad thing. I was texting and driving in traffic, got in a car crash, totaled my car, and no longer had the ability to drive to appointments. So I had been ignoring this one ad for such a long time and um, it offered a lot of money and it was local and it was to be a nude masseuse. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm already naked in front of people all the time. I'm really good with touch. I would give 
boyfriends, massages, everyone was like, wow, you're so good at this. Um, so it escalated from there. I also made enough money to buy a car um, and became a stripper. Um, again, Craigslist. And it was hilarious. Absolutely funny. Uh, the stripping was less dangerous than the nude modeling by far. Because there's a group of people. Sometimes they would get rowdy and be like a little bit scary. But there's always one good guy in the group that's like, hey, this is wrong. So, kind of more controlled environment, I guess. Yeah, exactly. If you've got a group of people. And I wasn't like dancing at a strip club where, you know, there's um, rules. This was me at the clubhouses of various biker gangs throughout California. Wow. And <laughs> yeah, it started with the Hells Angels in uh, Fruitvale over in, near Oakland. And they were actually the kindest, most calm group of all of the biker gangs in California. They have such a bad reputation. But let me tell you, all the pledges would come up to me and be like, is everyone treating you well? Is everyone being kind to you? Do you need anything? Can I get you something? Would you like a drink? Like, so nice. These boys wow. were just absolutely sweethearts, which was not true of all of the biker gangs. But I did get to a point where it was dangerous. And honestly, it was the wives that scared me the most. So mm, Yeah, I could see yeah, that. Yeah, I had lots of nightmares about wives killing me. And I had some crazy times uh, stripping. There was one group called the Dirty Whites. I think they're out of Vallejo. And I stripped in their warehouse. It was all fun and games until it was time to do like the uh, leader of the group do his strip dance along with my friend who was stripping with me. And they called me the bucking Bronco because I broke everyone's chairs for lap dances. <laughs> <laughs> As a horseback rider, I would ride them really hard, give them a good show. And um, it came time to do like the boss guy. And we were both kind of like, oh, this is so awkward because his wife is front row watching us like she was not looking happy. And uh, we were like, well, let's just do a really good job, I guess. Um, and so we did. And afterward, the wife grabbed me with like just really intense claw nails and was like, come with me. Really serious. And I was terrified, honestly. Like, oh, what did I do? And she sits me down at a bar and says, what will you drink? And she was very straight faced, very serious. And I was like, oh, actually, I don't drink, which is true. I don't really drink. Um, I was like the only sober stripper that anyone had. <laughs> and I sat down and I said, uh, I guess whiskey. That was the only thing I had experience with. And so she points to someone at the bar and goes, get the Cobra whiskey. They bring out this jar, this huge glass jar with an actual dead cobra inside of it, filled with liquid, and poured me a shot out of that. And she goes, wow. great. And I was like, oh, God. Okay. <laughs> I drank it. And it was horrible and burned. And then she goes, pour her another one. And then she goes, drink. And I did. Because I was like in an environment. And so everyone was starting to gather around all the guys like, oh, what's going on here? And then she like kind of coyly smiles, walks around 
uh, right up into my face and grabs my knees. I was naked, by the way, totally naked. <laughs> and pulls them apart and shoves herself inside and starts making out with me. And I was so uncomfortable, but also like, what's going to happen if I like fight this? And uh, she says, how much? And I was like, oh, no, I'm not. I'm not that kind of stripper. I'm like just here for the party and the entertainment. And she's like, girl, you don't listen, do you? How much? And the husband came up and he's like, yeah, I approved this. Money is not a problem. And luckily, I'd given a really great dance and had a wonderful conversation with the kindest pledge. Probably got in so much trouble for this. I feel so bad. He came to my rescue like a Prince Charming ran through the crowd that was all like kind of cheering around us because you know the lady had been making out with me it was turning into a very exciting situation for them he tore through picked me up off the bar stool out of her clutches and said i promised this girl that i was gonna make sure she got home for her 6 a.m interview which was totally wow. just made it up he had my purse and he ran out of there carrying me all the way to my car and uh, saved me from that really dismal situation. And all he asked wow. for was a, a brief kiss, which I gave him. And he wanted a date, which I did ghost him after that. I was like, <laughs> I want no part of anyone involved in this crazy world. Seems like it could go sour if you, <laughs> if <laughs> yeah. you uh, continued hanging out with that crowd. Wow, that's. I feel like there's a ton of stories that could be unpacked with every chapter of your <laughs> of your whole story so if we back up and kind of go when you first started doing like you, you know you did the craigslist ad and you started getting these uh you know nude modeling jobs and stuff like that what's kind of the craziest situation you ran into with some of those jobs okay the, probably the craziest one i mean there are ones that are crazy just plain horrible that I feel like YouTube won't even let us talk about on here. But one that was a close call was this guy from the Navy. I didn't know this yet, but um, he put out an ad that said, glamour model, pinup lingerie. Like it was super simple. It paid really well, 300 bucks, but it was like a couple hours away. It was a long drive for me. So I said, I'm your girl. I have all the pinup lingerie. I have all the vintage stuff and I make my own pinup lingerie. And I've been modeling for a long time. So I went to meet him at this hotel. It was supposed to be a glamour shoot in the room. And um, the first thing he had me do was like put a ponytail right on top of my head and wear these really ugly glasses. And he wanted me to wear like this, this really unattractive stuff that he brought. And I could kind of tell that he was trying to make me feel uncomfortable. Um, I love psychology. So that's that's the only reason I've lived through all this. And um, he, he was clearly trying to like berate me. And I, I thought that was interesting. And he was really talking himself up about how great he is. And then he's like, we're going to do a little shibari. I didn't know what that was. It's a Japanese rope art that you tie people up in the rope and it's supposed to look like beautiful clothing and be a, a little provocative with the bondage so I was like yeah sure whatever like I'm fine with this so he starts making this harness 
And he's telling me he did this ayahuasca trip back when he was in the Navy and traveling. And he was like getting really excited about telling me this in a kind of evil way. And he's like, I realized I am the snake destroyer of worlds and that my chaos is the necessary death that brings new life. Like oh, really kind of high on his story. And I'm getting more and more tied up. Like, mm, this might not be going good. And so we go and take some pictures in the hotel room. He's like, I want to take some pictures in the courtyard. It's like, sure. So I put on this little strappy dress I made that uh, you could kind of see some of the artwork, the shibari art underneath. We're walking through the cart courtyard of like a Marriott. And there are people like looking like, what is going on here? Because we're in the elevator and I've like got rope garter belts on. <laughs> wow. And uh, you can see rope through my dress and stuff. And this family is kind of watching me, like looking really suspicious. So I just took a few pictures in the courtyard. I pull up my dress really quick and I have these pictures and you take pictures and then we'd go back up to the hotel room. And he's like, I just want to make some adjustments. And He's like, why don't you lay down? And so I'm laying down on a table. And then I realize he's like tied me up in a way that I can't really move anymore. And he's like, hold on a second. I have a surprise for you. And that's when I realized I really messed up. My boundaries were not good. I should have seen that this was going to a bad place. Like he obviously was letting me know he wasn't a good person. And still I was like, you know, Okay, whatever. We'll do it. So I'm tied up naked on the table in this hotel room. He leaves and he's gone for like 15 minutes, which I suspect is like him trying to psych me out, make me afraid, like what is going to happen, leave me in my head. And I had already been through a lot, so I wasn't the person <laughs> that he wanted me to be. And he comes back with a big dildo and he says, I'm going to raw. And I just looked at him straight faced and was like, no, no, thank you. You better not. And he was like confused by this. And he came in really close and started cheering it in my face. And he's like, did you hear me? I'm going to you. You're going to like it. And I was like, oh, no, thank you. I actually have to go. I'm not interested. I just kept like really bland, like as if I were totally dumb, didn't understand. And this really aggravated him because he wanted fear. He wanted me to be afraid because that's how he was going to get off. And then he started showing me pictures from his laptop of all the other girls that he had done this to. And he's like, look at her face. She loves it. She loves it. And it was so gross. First of all, I it's strange that I'm in the porn industry because I actually don't watch it and I don't like it. I just um, happen to film what I do naturally. And I love that. <laughs> I love sharing. And um, I just kept a really straight face the whole time. I was like, yeah, I'm just not into that. Thanks, though. And he got upset and he took out a knife, a pocket knife, like a little switchblade. And he was trying to intimidate me and looking in my eyes really intensely. And then he goes and he starts cutting the rope like really close to my skin and being really dramatic about it. He's clearly pissed off. And I was like, oh, 
thank you. I feel so much better. I just always played kind of dumb, innocent. And that way I didn't cause a threat to his ego. It's like, okay, I have to go now. So late. So I packed up my lingerie, took my money. I started running out of there super fast. The hotel management sees me. They start running after me and they're like, stop, stop. We know what you're doing. We've called the police. They're coming to arrest you. Stop where you are. So I'm running. All these families are like watching me run as fast as possible by the pool with my rolling backpack full of lingerie. <laughs> I'm like half dressed, running for my car. And um, the hotel manager and some like assistant jump on my car and I'm already in it. So I'm backing up like really slowly because I don't want to like hurt them. But I'm about, I'm leaving. Like I'm not waiting around for the police. I'm out of here. And um, they just kept like banging on the car and I just kept inching away and then put it in like drive. I'm like, sorry, but yeah, I'm, I'm not going to wait around for that. And just took off. And that was the end of it. Wow. <laughs> that's... Uh... That's a hell of a story. <laughs> yeah, which is why I'm so happy to be online where no one can touch me. Now, so you were kind of like, you played it off really cool in that situation, but like what's going through your head when that's happening? Are you freaking out? I think I went to uh, survivor mode and kind of dissociated because I had to. And that's always been like a technique, you know, thinking of, bees and wasps or any animal of like a predator if you act like prey then that's what you are to them and they will attack you so i have been in these situations many many times and have learned that the best thing to do is either be ambivalent or also act predatory you either meet them or ignore them but you never show fear because that's very exciting to a predator. I mean, it makes perfect sense if you were to encounter a bear or something like that. It's pretty much kind of the same, yeah, same concept, I guess. Yeah. By the way, if you want to learn the best systems and strategies to grow your social media and really level up your skills to get more fans consistently, be sure to check the link down in the description below, or you can scan the QR code on the screen here. Remember, average skills are going to give you average results, and average is not going to pay your bills in this business. It's up to you to master these skills and learn how to properly promote your account if you want to see real long-term success in the business. And now, back to the podcast. When you first started kind of doing all this stuff, um, I mean, you were in a pretty desperate situation. At what point did you start kind of like making enough money to regain control and start doing things that you wanted to do? Basically, I had opened up my own massage parlor. After I'd been working for this lady, I was like, why am I paying her 50% when I could just rent my own studio, give all these guys my card, and take the clients elsewhere because they're coming to see me. So I'm sorry, Julia, if you watch this, that is what I did. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I made up my own business card. I got this plan in my head. I was like, okay, I'm going to rent a place um, that's going to be elsewhere. I'm going to get to decorate it. That'll be fun. My cover is that I'll have a vintage shop. And that is what it looks like from the outside. And that is actually what I was doing. I had a uh, vintage slinging business. So 
I buy dresses cheap online. I'm a seamstress, so I would mend them and then I would sell them at a profit on Instagram. And in the back room, <laughs> I was giving massages. And so I think I was making between like $500 and $1,000 a day doing that. Wow. And then there was a day that I made $1,800 selling dresses on Instagram. And I was like, I'm doing this now. <laughs> Just to kind of get get the timeline uh, straight here. So you so you were kind of doing the Instagram, the Etsy stuff long before that, right? And then right. did something go viral or like how did that happen? Um, well, the uh, Instagram and the Etsy stuff, that's when I was making dresses. So that was 19 to about 23 when I got divorced. I took a little break. I got obsessed with hiking. Um, that's when we started the Rascalettes, which was a hugely popular Instagram page that was deleted and had many reincarnations and eventually we gave up on it. And so that did go viral and that's what got me into the nude modeling. Um, and that's where I started making money. The dresses weren't making money. I tried to have a fashion line and it was another sad story of my uh, boundary issues where this guy from Morocco was very charming. He was an old guy. He seemed to have his own fashion line. And he's like, I want to mentor you. I'm going to help you with this fashion line. All you have to do is come over and... Um, you know, talk things over with me. We're going to have a lot of business meetings and I need you to drive me around because I have this issue with my license and I have some errands to do. So it was all like he wasn't creepy yet and it seemed very legitimate. Like I told my whole family about it. He was presenting me checks every day made out to Dainty Rascal for like 50 grand, 25 grand, 100 grand. And once we got to 250 grand, he was going to put all these checks in and start my fashion line. So I was driving to San Francisco to see this guy three times a week, going out to dinner with him, pacifying him. He had terrible breath and he spit and he looked exactly like a walrus. And so <laughs> there was one night I went to his house, supposed to be a business meeting. It would always turn into him telling me stories and trying to like, you know, charm me romantically, which I was, no, no way. And he had a whole song for me in French. So he said he wrote it, who knows, but it was a song called Suzanne. And he's grabbing me by my shoulders, saying it into my face, just spitting the whole time with the most horrible breath. And I'm just sitting there like, okay, 250 grand in my own fashion line. I can get through this. And uh, so the day comes when we finally got enough checks and I go over to his house. We're ready. Like everyone knows about this. I've made a really big deal about how this is going to happen. And I got the patterns made. I had my parents um, buy all the fabric for the whole fashion line. So I had all this fabric stored up. I had the production company in San Francisco ready to go. It's going to be all sustainable, locally made. So excited. And he pulls out this contract and he says, I need you to look this over. There's one part of the agreement you don't know about yet. And I was like, okay. So he has this legal contract, huge, that says I have to wear a collar, a harness, be his dog, travel the world with him as his pet dog, and I'm not allowed to talk. 
I have to talk, like bark and I have to like be an actual dog. And he says that this has worked very well in the past for many young ladies who are now very successful. And uh, that I had to have sex with him and there was a, like an NDA, which obviously I didn't sign. <laughs> I would talk about it anyways. And um, so this turned into a very sad situation. And I was so heartbroken. I think I've never been so disappointed in my life about anything. I just didn't even know what to say. Um, and he, I was like, well, so there's no fashion line if I don't do this. And he was like, correct. And he was so like happy with himself and just confident and proud and like, yes, this is the way things have always worked for me. This is really good for me. Oh, that's insane. Yeah, it was really. I can't, it's it's weird to even imagine that people like that even exist like that. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I I am constantly bewildered. And that's honestly why I fall into these kind of traps with these kind of people who I think are on some level very attracted to me because I just can't remember that there are weird, bad people out there. Every person I meet, I love them until they do me wrong. And even then, I'm so forgiving. And so it's been a life lesson about um, trying to see people for who they really are, looking for red flags. And honestly, that's why I'm on the internet. Well, it's clear that you know you you have one of the main ingredients that all successful entrepreneurs have, which is grit. Like, you just keep going through this stuff and then you just find another way and find another way and figure it out and figure it out and keep going. And that's because I have a great dream. <laughs> I have yeah, a really, exactly. really big dream and I've never let go of it since I was 19 and I started my business. Everything I've done has been that I wanted to have a horse rescue supported by a wedding venue. And the reason this was so brilliant, one... I'm running everything through a nonprofit. Two, other wealthy people who already want to get married. I live in Sonoma County. It's like the place to get married. Uh, we'll get a tax deductible write-off for whatever they book my venue at, which around here is about 30 grand a day. And um, that would be a tax write-off for them. So these wealthy people, not only do they get to show off to all their friends that they're supporting a really good cause, by getting married at this beautiful horse sanctuary, but they get to have a write-off, which they love. And I get a non-taxable income and I get to do what I love, which is save horses. So it's gonna be like the most beautiful thing. It's still gonna happen someday. There have been many, many, many failures, many close calls in that dream, but I'm still working toward it and I know that I will have it. And that's why I work really hard every day at making as much as possible. How how did that vision sort of come to be, and why why is that particular thing so important for you? Uh, I've been with horses since I was three years old. My aunt put me on a horse, and his name was Popover. And ever since, I would beg my grandparents, who um, did a lot of my raising, please can we go to the park and ride the ponies? And my grandpa is so sweet would just let me go around and around and keep handing a new dollar to the girl with the horse. And I would do that for hours. I just never wanted to stop. Just wanted to be with the horses, wanted to hug the horses, love the horses, obsessed. 
And throughout school, like everyone else was really into anime. And I was the weird horse girl. I was so like 100% tunnel vision for horses. And so I was not popular in school. Um, I was definitely the like only girl not invited to many birthday parties. Why do you think that is? Did, did people just think you were weird or were you kind of just like standoffish with people or why do you think that was? They definitely thought I was weird. So I ran like a horse. I still do. And I have to say that it actually uses less energy and is softer on the joints. That's, and that's if you tight. happen to have boobs, it's more of a, a rolling than, you know, when you're running. <laughs> it's try cantering. I'm telling you, it works. Um, Interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think, um, you know, I just wasn't into the things that other kids were into. So we didn't have much to talk about. I wanted to talk about horses and they're like, not interested. And Pokemon cards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I needed to know some other horse girls, which I didn't. Um, I was also very shy. I was really shy. And believe it or not, there was a large part of my life uh, my biggest fear was being naked and being seen being naked. I had nightmares all the time about being public and realizing I have no clothes on and being like, oh no, what's going on? And it was just like the dread of my life going to change in locker rooms. Like, oh, what a disaster. And that lasted until I was like 20 years old. I was terrified to change even in front of my best friend. What was the sort of mental switch where you kind of like got over that or figured it out? You know, so there were two switches. The first one was I was living when I got divorced with my best friend and her boyfriend. It wasn't a great situation looking back on it. Um, he was uh, rapey. He was really rapey, unfortunately. But he would kind of I mean, this sounds really bad. Kind of groomed us uh, to feel really comfortable first. So, like, he'd be naked all the time. And we'd be like, oh, why are you naked? He'd be like, I don't know. He was a lot older than us and wealthy. So um, he and his friends would come over. You know, my best friend was very comfortable being naked. And she'd always be like, why don't you just get naked and... I'd be like, okay, so I slowly got used to it. Um, we were definitely high a lot, smoked a lot of weed, and really we ate a lot of weed brownies. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it it kind of was a gradual breakdown in the fear of nudity in a un more unfortunate way. And um, it was getting attention for having short skirts, wearing push-up bras, you know, that sort of thing where I had been denied that kind of attention for so long. Um, I was with my ex-husband since I was 16 and he was very like, cover everything. Don't let anyone look at you. When we would go in a grocery store, if someone looked at me, he would threaten to beat them up. Wow. So it was really intense. Um, and then go getting out of that was just like, wow, everyone can see me. I'm here. <laughs> um, I'm a friendly person, so that was fun for me. And there, you know, I got desperate with needing money 
And so that's when I was like, you know what? I've already been naked in front of people. Um, no one has said anything negative about my body, which was my fear before, is that people would tell me like, oh, you, you're a mutant. Like, you know, I had <laughs> had some situations when I was younger where people uh, would say things about my body not being perfect or correct. Um, and so that really... Oh my gosh. It Was that being said by adults or other kids? I was been, it was being said by other kids. And so I had in my mind that I had small boobs. Um, my nipples didn't get hard and big the way I had seen like other women having big hard nipples. And I was like, that's that's normal. And what I have is a deformity. I just didn't know because I hadn't really seen other women naked was the whole problem. Um, and that became part of my mission when I made the naked dress, like, let's all see each other naked so that we don't go around thinking we're deformed when it's actually very normal and natural and everyone has a different body style. Um, so yeah, that, that happened, the desperation moving into nude modeling that I became pretty comfortable, but I will say the real switch when it really, really flipped and I wasn't just doing it out of desperation or, um, you know, because someone told me I should, that I actually wanted to and I felt power inside myself for the very first time is when I had made a lot of money being a nude masseuse. And it seems like every man I came in contact with really wanted me and was like, oh my God. God, you're so beautiful. And suddenly I had this confidence. I started walking around like downtown, handing out my business cards to men I thought were attractive. And I'd kiss them and put my number on it and be like, we should go out on a date. It's going to be fun. I was that confident all of a sudden. Wow. <laughs> I know. Nice. Yeah. So it was, it was a huge switch, but I'll never forget the moment of just like walking down the street to my favorite cafe in a totally sheer dress, no underwear on underneath, and just feeling like the most powerful person in the world because I had 100% love for myself. I was like, there wow. is nothing wrong with me. I feel amazing. I'm happy with myself. I love my life. I don't have fear anymore regarding um, social stuff. I wasn't like anxious like I used to be. It's it's pretty interesting because um, I feel like a lot of creators, you know, maybe guys and girls have, you know, body dysmorphia and just don't like they can never get to that level of confidence that you're saying right now. Was there anything in particular that comes to mind to where, you know, you were able to really kind of make that switch mentally and just feel like that? Yeah, it was honestly um, experience points. It was the realization through repetitive experience that the standards of men are very low, to be honest. <laughs> like women think our our idea is like, oh my gosh, he wants a woman with perfect double D breasts that are up here and the tiniest waist, got to have abs, got to have a huge butt, like this really unrealistic thing is stuck in our heads um, and we think that if we're not number one and we don't look exactly perfect that men won't like us 
or women or whatever. And my experience has been like, that is just so far from the truth. Oh my gosh, men love confidence. Men love a woman who's like, I know what I've got. I know how to use it. That's what they really like. They're like, yes, do it to me. <laughs> if we rewind a little bit, when this whole kind of, um, you know, the fashion line, uh, you know, went south and all that all that stuff kind of fell apart, what year was, what year did that happen? 2015, I would say 2015 era. So 2015 and then OnlyFans wasn't, wasn't really a thing then. So what was, what was kind of going on during the time that, so was this, this was basically when you got into the, all the massage stuff uh -huh. um, after that. And then at what point did, did you discover OnlyFans and kind of move in that direction? Oh, this is a very happy story. <laughs> um, it was, I had just moved in with my boyfriend. We had our first horse rescue ranch. Um, it was beautiful little ranch. I, Went above my means, as it's very easy to do in horse rescue. It's super, super expensive, and there is no end to the horses in need of your help. Um, so we had this ranch. I was just selling vintage at that point. I was doing quite well, um, about 15K a month just selling vintage. But I had the overhead of my downtown shop, and I had... I was paying the rent entirely by myself, which was like 3500 It didn't include utilities. The horse hay, the horse care, it started stacking up to a point where I was spending more than I was earning. And I had this beautiful friend from Germany who is the most amazing photographer in the world. And I say that with such confidence. Everyone who sees her work is like, please take my picture. <laughs> You're the only one. And um, she was borrowing my vintage gowns. Uh, she'd come over, go through my collection, put them on models, and then give me the pictures. She's like, you know, I feel like I want to repay you somehow. Can I take your picture? And I was like, sure, but I only do nudes. And I want to do it on my horses. <laughs> and it just happens nice. to be my birthday. And she's like, okay, I can do nudes. She's very German <laughs> and she comes over to my house where I have all these rescue horses and I get naked. I get up on one of my horses. She's taking beautiful pictures that I'll keep forever. And she's like, I think I want to be a horse trainer. And I was like, well, that's perfect. I happen to need a horse trainer. So we became really good friends. Um, when we were done with the shoot, I am looking everywhere for my dress that I put on this chair in a pasture. And it's gone, so I'm just totally naked, like, hanging out. Where did my dress go? And I look over, and my horse Targaryen saw all these little red shreds coming out of his mouth. He ate it like a goat. <laughs> I know. Um, and so she took these gorgeous pictures of me. Oh, my gosh, so pretty. And she's like, you know, you should really start a Patreon. People will pay money to see all the pictures that you've taken of yourself naked. And I was like... I never thought of that. I do have like 10,000 photos from various photographers over the years of myself naked. And she's like, well, you should really think about it. So anyways, I, I started my Patreon um, and it did pretty well. And then I heard about OnlyFans and I was like, well, might as well get on another platform, right? Make all the money I can. And um, 
at that time, Patreon started doing so well for me that I was making 20 grand a month on Patreon. Wow. I flew too close to the sun and I added a benefit tier that they flagged. And um, they were like, you know, this is pornography. We don't allow pornography. And their stipulation is like, if you have nudity in more than two thirds of the frame, they consider that pornography. Um, also, if you're touching yourself in a sexually exciting manner. So they suspended my account when it was making 20 grand a month. I lost my mind because that was my income. Damn. And uh, had to like really focus on OnlyFans. And I also, that's when I created my own website that I basically just copied Patreon, made it exactly the same, and emailed all of my former clients like, I'm still here. <laughs> and so that's how that's how I got to uh, that spot. I was slow to learn OnlyFans. I should be a millionaire right now. I'm so disappointed <laughs> I didn't find you sooner. Um, <laughs> I had like, started with some actual help and not just me doing like five full-time jobs you know the horse rescue marketing uh my dresses that i was making occasionally i was still making wedding gowns because that made good money uh the vintage dress business i had so much going on so little time to learn about the actual platform that i didn't know about ppvs until over a year into my OnlyFans journey. Uh -huh. And the month that I learned about PPVs, I went from making $1,000 a month to having a $10,000 month. Wow, <laughs> nice. Yeah. I hired a, a coach like a year ago, almost a year ago, and we just had an hour-long conversation for like 300 bucks. She told me so much stuff about OnlyFans that I didn't know like following back your expired fans so that you can message them. I had no idea. Sending out like mass messages, so many things, scheduling posts. I had no idea. And all of these things just like really skyrocketed my income. <laughs> so, okay. So you discovered Patreon in what, around what year was that? I think it was the end of 2018. Okay, and then so that's sort of when OnlyFans starts coming into the picture. And then, so were you on OnlyFans already, like when it really kind of took off during the pandemic and stuff yes. like that? Yes, I was already on there. Mm -hmm. Okay, so so when the pandemic came, did you see, were you marketing on like TikTok and Instagram Reels at that point? I um, only or what were you kind of doing? TikTok because of you. I okay. hated TikTok. I could not figure it out. I tried it several times immediately deleted every time because I didn't understand the strictness of the guidelines and I couldn't figure out how to put music that I wanted and it would always like recommend a rap song to like my little dainty 50s dancing which was really weird I got so frustrated I just gave up and then I heard you talking to other people about it over and over and I was like okay I have to do it now I have seven TikTok accounts and wow. um, <laughs> nice. yeah, I want to say I'm posting on every single one twice a day, but it's only been once a day. Um, I'm getting there. I'm trying to hire help at my sanctuary so that I have more free time to focus on marketing, which is 
in my experience, about 90% of the business. Yep, that's not accurate. Yeah. Interesting. So you just started TikTok somewhat recently. So so you mentioned you found my channel about a year ago or so? I would say so. Yeah, that's when I started just as I was cleaning stalls. I would just have YouTube on listening to OnlyFans advice. Um, you came on, some other people, Alana Cole. Um, and I was like, wow, these people are really making it on this one platform. And um, I heard about Amaranth. People kept telling me about oh, yeah. Amaranth. I used to be a redhead and I had horses and so did she. And they're like, you should be making a million dollars a month. Amaranth is making a million dollars a month. I was like, that's exactly what I need to buy my land and start my wedding venue rescue. So <laughs> I saw that and I was like, okay, this is the way. I'm going to make it work. I need more information. So your whole progression is like coming together, which is super cool. Um, you're on a lot, you know, I kind of looked briefly through your social media platforms and stuff like that. And you're on, you know, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, all these different places. As of right now, what would you say is the best platform that's working for you? Okay. I have um, interviewed my fans many times. I have about 75% of my paying subscribers are from YouTube. And YouTube and I have a long, torrid history. I have had, uh, I would say, six channels get over 100,000 subscribers, only to be deleted. And it was not always because I was breaking guidelines. What it is, is um, there are some men who love, love, love me, and I love that they love me. But they make it their life's mission to steal all of my content, create their own channels pretending to be me, and then reporting me for stealing their content. And so this has happened so many times where they're doing copyrights against me. And I'm like, how is this possible? I'm me. And I can never talk to anyone at YouTube. They always give me automated replies and it's just a rigmarole. So basically... Um, I mean, sometimes I have been deleted because they're like, this is just too risque. But so much of the time, it really isn't. And I feel like at this point, I've had so many channels deleted and so many other people pretending to be me have had their big channels deleted as well that like their AI might recognize me or something. Because there are some times where I'll get a notice like, um, you know, this is you're you have a strike because of our nudity policy. And I'm like, I'm not even close to nude. Like, I mean, I had so many videos go so viral. I had one that had 8 million views. And wow. it was just, it was unfortunate because this was one of the videos that I felt least attractive in. Like, I forgot to wear lipstick that day. My lips were just totally like, nude and I'm dancing this dress that I hated. It was really ugly. It was a <laughs> dowdy 1940s dress, but it was just ever so slightly sheer that it looked like maybe you could see curves through the fabric. It was like not even that sheer, but it was in people's heads that they were seeing something that they weren't supposed to. It was very exciting and it went super viral. And um, I think I was getting about 100 subscribers a day on Patreon from that one wow. video. 
So that was amazing. That's definitely how the majority of my fans have found me. I have like my new account. I had to name it Heart of Gold Sanctuary and not call it Dainty Rascal because um, everything I call Dainty Rascal gets deleted and without even any strikes. I definitely want to look at your YouTube channel because you sent me the uh, a few links on Telegram. When I, I tried to open the YouTube one and it was a broken link, so I never got to Whoa. see the channel. So I definitely want to <laughs> want to see what you got going on there because that's that's awesome. What like I'm a huge huge fan of YouTube. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of uh, you know really there's a lot of there's a lot more diverse strategies that you can use on YouTube in comparison to some of the other platforms so i really try to like push creators in that direction but it's a lot of times a slower grind than some of the other platforms so a lot of creators are resistant um to you know to to really pushing hard on youtube but it sounds like youtube's been kind of like your number one it has is that honestly i find it very easy to grow new channels um but i will say i have been branding dainty rascal for like 12 years now so you know, I've got a lot of people that search it already, so that's really yeah, okay. helpful. And they know my content from Instagram, um, so they see something that's familiar. I will say that's something that's really important in marketing is the familiarity. People love what they know. Man, and like selling dresses, if I change up my background, nothing will sell. They want right. to see the same background, have everything the same, except for the item that is for sale. That's the only thing that can change. And they they right. love the repetition of things. And so, like, you know, a lot of my videos are just me riding a horse back to the barn. You just rambling on because I have nothing really that I wanted to say, but I know I have to say something I'm like blah, 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 just talking nonsense about horses, but I'm having a good time and they love it. Right. There's, I mean, there's a huge volatility in, in this industry. Like I've seen creators go from making a hundred thousand dollars a month to making next to nothing almost overnight, or, you know, it's just these huge roller coasters. Um, I'm curious, like throughout all the different things that you've done on this whole journey, whether it's, you know, the, the dresses or the massages or the online Patreon OnlyFans, like what's kind of, how much money have you made on each thing that you've done? And um, where, where are you kind of at right now? Patreon was the first one. It's made 151K so far. Uh, wow. Second is uh, my website. When I started that, that has made 240,000 so far. And OnlyFans has done 110,000 for me so far. So I've made like 500 grand from just the sexy online stuff, which is by far more than I ever made in person by a lot. And um, and then like other sources of income I had, uh, selling vintage was making about 100,000 a month. I mean, sorry, a year, excuse me, the profit not the net. The net was a lot more, but I had to take into consideration the fact that I paint shipping. So I had to hire my friend to do all the shipping. I pay him well. And, um, you know, buying the dress, my time modeling it, all these things that were eating up at the profits to the point where I was like, I would much rather be sexy dancing online (laughs) and have much better margins. Yeah. Nothing. It costs nothing. (laughs) Amazing. Um, and other 
things. I mean, like, you know, every once in a while I'll get a donation for the sanctuary, but it is rare. So I have spent over a million dollars in five years on the horses and only wow. 38,000 of that has been donations. So I'm at a point in my life where I have spent all of my money that I've ever made plus some on saving horses' lives. <laughs> But that was my intention when I was six years old. I was like, I'm going to have a rescue ranch. I'm going to save all the horses. Um, that's And you're still following through on that. That's amazing. Yeah. I knew I wanted to play dress up and be with horses all day. And that is exactly what I do. I'm curious. One thing you said, because, um, yeah, you are, you know, you're offering content on your own domain, your own site that you have and stuff like that, right? <laughs> um that's one th that's a question that comes up quite a bit in the in the community is you know why why sell content on OnlyFans when I can just do it myself my kind of take on that is that um when you're selling content from your own site or your own domain the main point of resistance is that people every single time they have to enter in their name their email put in their credit card information whatever mm -hmm. whereas OnlyFans they can just click a button click a button and get what they want um what has your experience kind of been with that? Have you have you seen that it's harder to sell on your own website or is it kind of equal to OnlyFans or what do you think? So with my website, um, it's, it's formulated like Patreon where you sign up once and then you have immediate access to whatever tier that you chose. It's either five, 20 or $40 a month. And um, basically if they want to stop the subscription, they have to go log into their account and physically unsubscribe. And I think that's something that Netflix relies on too. You know what I mean? Like those monthly subscription services that you just kind of forget about. Um, so that's right. why I do like my personal website. Um, I don't sell, I don't message at all on my personal website. There's no, um, you know, back and forth. So there's no chatting there. And I don't sell, well, I have a shop page where I can sell PPV content for people who are afraid to commit to a subscription. Um, that does like, I don't know, maybe a thousand dollars a month in just random video sales. I have to tell you, I'm not a professional website designer. It's not excellent. It's very simple. And, um, you know, I did the best I could with my limited knowledge. If I had like professional help, it would probably do way better. With your own website, are you using a certain platform like WordPress or yes. Wix or oh, something that like that? Oh, that is so important. Oh, my God. I had the hugest, hugest disaster. So for a good amount of time, my website was making like 10 to 15 grand a month. This was like two years ago. No, maybe just like up to a year ago. Um, it was reliable. It was consistent. It was paying all the bills. I live in uh, Sonoma County. It's extremely expensive. The place that I rent is eight grand a month. And hey, here's $30 a bail. So it's it's skyrocket prices. Like it costs me 30 grand a month just to run the facility. And um, uh, WordPress.com does not allow pornography. They are strictly anti-pornography. I didn't know this. And they didn't know about me for a lovely long time. And things were going great. One day, my all these customers are messaging me like, what happened? The site's down. I look and it's down. I'm like, I don't know. I'm not a computer person. I don't know. So I'm like frantically looking for help. I get my sister involved. I'm like, sister, do it. Help me. 
And they're like, yeah, well, you have nudity on your site. And I was like, yeah. And And they're like, oh, well, we can't have that. You can't be hosted by us. I built this whole site through WordPress using a plugin called MemberPress, which basically mimics Patreon, a subscription service. And um, so I panicked. I hired someone from, I think, Fiverr or, or whatever similar thing that was all the way in Pakistan. The timing was off. Um, he did help me migrate to a host that was okay with nudity, which I believe is called DreamHost. Um, oh. So we did that. It was okay for a while. I was able to keep my subscriptions. All was well. Um, and then we had to also go wordpress.org. Um, so we had to switch from wordpress.com to wordpress.org. Somehow their nonprofit version allows for nudity. I don't know. Oh, interesting. I didn't even know that. Something like that. They explained it to me a while ago, and I've honestly forgotten the details. So fact check, See. please. But um, then, gosh, this year, this year has been a difficult, terrible year, honestly. Very, very hard. It started with um, January 4th. My best friend, the amazing photographer, the best photographer in the world. Uh, we had a horrible storm here. The flooding was crazy and a tree crushed her house and killed her three-year-old son and it was it just totally rocked all of us sorry it's still like oh it felt weird to be online it just didn't feel right for a short amount of time and so i took the time that i needed um, and got back online, but I had lost, um, I had lost some subscribers for sure because, you know, I told them what happened, but people don't read the text. They're there to see the nudity. So some people understood and gave me the time and stayed subscribed. Um, and then freaking PayPal <laughs> one day, like I, I was used to getting a certain amount of money every day. I would wake up and have like $500 in deposited from PayPal. And one day it didn't come. And I was like, oh, that's weird. And I didn't think of anything of it. And I was going about my day all happy. And the next day it didn't come. And I was like, where's my money? And I look and they hadn't been charging anyone. And they had actually canceled all of my subscriptions through PayPal because someone reported me for pornography. I didn't know that PayPal was anti-pornography. And so my whole subscription base of everything, it was like everything in PayPal. I also ran my entire vintage business through PayPal. So PayPal was Yikes. doing basically 30 grand a month for me until this point. And then they shut it down. I couldn't even send invoices. I didn't know what to do. My shipping of all my vintage was totally messed up. Everything was so bad. It was such a mess. People were so mad at me. Um, and I was in a three-month battle with them that ended in them giving my account back under the stipulation that I never, never be uh, using it for anything to do with any kind of nudity or adult content. So I'm stuck with Stripe. 
And luckily I have had fewer and fewer disputes. Now when people message me, unsubscribe me, I just take the 10 minutes, go and do it myself. But man, PayPal was way better. It was. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, Stripe could be tough. Um, I've I've had a lot of kind of like e-commerce businesses all through Stripe and PayPal. And it's tough because if you get enough disputes, I mean, not only do you have to give the refund, but like I said, you get charged on top of that to so to basically pay them back. And then if you get enough disputes, then they, then they can shut down the Stripe account too. Exactly. Um, that, did you ever run into anything like that? I did, yeah. And so I had to call them and be like, uh, you know, I run a subscription site. I wasn't very detailed because I never know who I'm talking to that's going to be like, ooh, I don't like this girl and what she does. I'm going to get her. Because that happens a lot. You just talk to the wrong yeah. person who is very conservative and hates what you do and just wants to tear you down. I feel like your whole story could be put into a, a book or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If So if somebody comes to you and they're considering getting into OnlyFans or you know something like that, what, what do you think are kind of like the main things somebody should consider before getting into something like this? Um, just the time that it's going to take. Uh, the fact that it is going to be mostly marketing. And you need to not only understand the OnlyFans platform, but you need to understand the TikTok platform, Instagram, uh, Twitter, and YouTube. You have got to be all over the place and be okay with it and be okay with the fact that you are online everywhere announcing that you do pornography. Pretty much. Yeah, people are going to recognize you um, and be like, I watched you last night. It was wild. Like, okay, yeah, cool. I would also say, like, definitely um, you need to invest time in learning. Yeah, that's the most important part is getting your information before you venture out because you will be so discouraged. If you go out there thinking you know how to do it and that it's going to be easy and then meeting all of these hard walls that'll push you back and push you down and you'll be like, I give up. But if you have the right information and you know what to do, it's so easy. It's a common thing with every business is kind of just analysis paralysis. You get so overwhelmed with information that you you kind of just get paralyzed. But you've kind of figured out some way, some some way that your brain operates to where, you know, you just take action and just figure it out along the way. How how for creators that are kind of stuck in research mode, stuck in analysis paralysis, how do you how do you kind of just switch into action mode and just start doing? Yeah, it's kind of like um, the way that women are afraid to present themselves until they're perfect. Like, no, the standard is a lot lower than you think it is. And in social media, it's it's not always about um, creating the perfect content. It's about how much content do you have out there at any given moment. And it's a numbers game. It's like, maybe there's one job that you focus on and you send out this one resume to this one job and you're like, I'm going to get it. And then you don't get it and you're just crushed. But if you send out a hundred resumes, you might get 10 replies and one interview. And so it's really about just pushing out constant content. I can't tell you how many times I've put out things that I've been like, oh, I did not watch that. And that's not cute. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's like the most common thing that comes up over and over again on this podcast is just pulling the lever 
over and over and over again yeah. rather than trying to make every single piece of content, you know, perfect or aesthetic or what you think people want to see, but instead just going for volume and just cranking yeah. it out. And one thing that really worked for me is that I had this side business, which was actually for a long time my main business of selling vintage clothing. And my model is that I put on the dress, I dance to a very old record in the same cute background, and it's a little bit sexy, even when the dress isn't sexy, just because it's a girl dancing to old music. And I repurpose that all over the place. I'm going to have your socials down below in the description. What's kind of the best uh, social media channel people can check check you out on? Probably my YouTube is my favorite because it's me talking. Sometimes I'm talking nonsense. The question I always finish with, you probably already know what it is, but what um, if you could give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that be? That no one really knows what they're doing. Everyone's just kind of like learning as they go and basing all their information off something they heard from somebody else. And what you need to do is just go out there and try your very best and not really get discouraged by the people who say, this is how it is, and you do it like this. Be wild, try everything, and don't be afraid to die. <laughs>